Bannon. Cut to. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Action! What's going on, everyone? I'm Monis Rose, and this is the Restaurant Fiction Podcast, where we review every single fictional restaurant, bar, and club in TV and film, as well as give you an insider perspective on the significance of the creation of said institutional locations. Speaking of institutional, our legendary guest today is writer, producer, showrunner Tom Fontana. You probably heard of him. If you haven't, you probably heard of his TV work. Homicide, Life on the Street, St. Elsewhere, Copper, The Philanthropist, and in our opinion, one of the most integral TV shows of all time, HBO's Oz. There are a few shows that change the TV game and set the bar. Oz is one of them, and also the reason why Tom is on. You see, restaurant fiction goes any place in the TV and film world that serves food and drink. And guess what? The cafeteria of the Oswald State Correctional Facility is one of those places. In this interview, Tom talks about how the cafeteria not only is used to tell the mythology of the show, but show the entire world all of the time. He also shares the story of how a tattoo of his earned a bunch of screen time in the show's opening credit scene and his continued search of getting a good Kentucky whiskey sponsor on one of his shows. Okay, without any further ado, here is our review of the food inside the Oz cafeteria and our chat with Tom. Go. So everyone, uh, Restaurant Fiction, this time around, we are not actually reviewing a restaurant. We are not reviewing a bar. We're reviewing a cafeteria, and none other than a cafeteria in Oswald State Penitentiary known as Oz. Now, why did we at Restaurant Fiction even go? Well, first of all, you know, we're not a pragmatic um, podcast. We're not, you know, but... We feel from working behind the kitchen, we feel that all people must be seen. We feel, you know, a lot of line cooks, a lot of the people behind, you know, the front of the house must be seen. And, you know, there are a lot of men behind bars that all they want to do is be seen. So we have organized a program to go inside the uh, Oswald State Penitentiary and the first and only place we were allowed to visit was the cafeteria. So let, let's break this cafeteria down. Well, first of all, there's a lot going on. You get a sense of the world, which is probably always the hardest part, that when you first go in the cafeteria, you do not know where to sit, especially if you don't belong to any group. You look around, you have Latinos, you have Muslims, you have Aryans, you have wise guys, you have Westies, you have gangbangers, you have the gamut. You know, they all share something in common that all of these men 
are very vulnerable. That it's almost as if, you know, some of the men are having a very good day. Some of the men are having a very bad day. You don't know. But before we even can sit down, we have to go in line. Now, in line, that's where the secrets are told. That's where plotting happens. Uh, we are not narcs at Restaurant Fiction. We will never be narcs. That's not in our code of conduct. And as you approach, you know, there, some may slip you some food. Some may slip you something else. Now, in terms of the food, what are you getting? Well, that all depends on, you know, who's who in this uh, prison environment. For us, what we got, we got white bread. We got beans. We got iceberg lettuce. But for some of the wise guys, we noticed they had rice. They had kebabs. They had a little juice. You know, for breakfast, they had some bagels. One important thing that we noticed about this cafeteria was there was a mic, there was a stage, and it really gave these men a place to, in a way, practice their art. There was a man who uh, practiced his poetry. There was even a Shakespeare play, uh, a Macbeth Shakespeare play, which actually dealt with a very realistic, actually it was a real death, very uh, traumatic. Now, is the food cooked with love. I think that's what it comes down to. You know, I can say how nutritiously balanced it is, or I can say how below average it is, but really it comes down to, was it cooked with love? And I apologize, guys. It was not, because really that's why Restaurant Fiction was there, that all of these men and any person that wants to be seen, you know, all they want is to be loved. And really, if it comes through the food first, well, at least that's the first step. And us at Restaurant Fiction just hope that uh, all food, no matter what, will always be the first sign of showing somebody they are loved. That is our review of the Oswald Cafeteria from Oswald State Penitentiary. We are talking to the creator of Oz, Tom. Tom, what did you think of that little review? What do you have to add? What do you have to, uh, what is your opinion on that? Well, it made a lot of sense. The cafeteria is sort of the center of the universe at Oswald because it's the place where all the prisoners come together. So I think you articulated it very well. Not sure how much of the food was, was made with love, but <laughs> maybe more of the food, the food was made with hate. As you know, in the first season, one of the prisoners slowly fed another prisoner broken glass that eventually cut up his insides and caused him to die, which was something I was told by a prisoner when I went to do the research before I started writing the show. So when he told me that that's how he had killed somebody, I said, oh my God, I said, well, didn't that take a long time? And he said, well, what else do I have in prison but time? Wow, now obviously in the show, and let's just talk about the show for a second, that was the worst meal of this man's life, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you have never eaten glass, Tom, but what was the worst meal you have ever had or experienced? I would say that any meal that I make is the worst meal I will have. <laughs> and my friends will all tell you, I am the lousiest cook in New York City. Especially the entire Eastern Sea. Uh, you know, I'll take Manhattan first. Say it ain't so. Say it ain't so. <laughs> All right. Well. Well, you know, I mean, I grew up. I, I grew up in a, a 
Sicilian neighborhood. My mom cooked. We were not taught how to cook. We were just taught how to eat. <laughs> Going back to really quick this last story, not just from the show, but also from your research. Yeah, how much research uh, goes into developing and creating Oz? Well, with every show I've done, whether it's, you know, St. Elsewhere, which was about a hospital, or Homicide, which was about a, a homicide detective unit, I, I believe you have to spend a lot of time with the actual people who do the work. And with Oz, I spent about two years going in and out of prisons all over the country trying to figure out what Oz would look like and smell like and the rhythm of the show. It was a fascinating lesson for me about justice and the penal system in America, at least back in those days. I don't think it's gotten any better, but at least in those days. From the get-go, did you feel that the cafeteria was going to be a recurring set? Did you say that, hey, all of my characters, they're going to be in the cafeteria for a long time, and there's going to be many scenes in the cafeteria? Absolutely. It's actually the center of the universe for a prison because it's, uh, at least on Oz, it was the only time that all of the prisoners were together in one room. The, the men who were in M-City, who were isolated from the men in the older part of the prison, they all came together in that, in that one space. It, it became a very important part of the storytelling. We go through periods in this country of, of prisons being retribution and prisons being redemption. And depending on who's running the country at that time, it's either give them nothing, take away the gym, take away the high school programs. They're bad, just leave them in there and let them die in there. And then the redemption part is let's create programs, let's have them bond with their children, that being said, you know, with Oz, what I was trying to do was to show both sides of redemption and retribution. My sense of it in terms of the cafeteria was it, it wasn't necessarily a place where they would come together unless, like, at the end of the first season, there was a riot. You know, I don't, I don't see it as a place of enjoyment or peace. I see it as a as a powder keg, the thing you have to remember about prisons is that you're taking men, obviously in Oz, who have all committed at least one extreme act, okay? One incredible, probably violent act. And you put them all in the same building, and you have to expect there's going to be a problem. You're right. You're, you're absolutely right. So in a way, actually, what you're saying is, the cafeteria is raising tension in a way. You're using the cafeteria to, to where everyone is seen. And if there is some animosity or if there is some rife, you know, between cultures, the stakes are high and you don't even have to write that. Yeah, no, I mean, because they're literally face to face when they're in the cafeteria. You know, in, in the pilot episode, you make it known that the cafeteria is going to be a recurring location, you know, through one of the main characters, Tobias Beecher. And, and we see him, we see a, a lot of the pilot, uh, we see his point of view. And in the cafeteria scene specifically, he has to choose who he's going to break bread with. You know, how important is this 
decision. You know, I know it's um, it's been a while since you were uh, developing the pilot of this show, but yeah, how important? Like, who is this newcomer going to sit with? Because that could uh, say a lot. Yeah, well, you know, and also it's potentially dangerous if he's unwelcome. So, in a really sort of simplistic way, it's a lot like high school. You have to suss out who are going to be the friendliest group of people to sit with. In Tobias's case, he saw the wonderful character that George Morfogan played and saw a face of potential welcome. So that's why he sat there. If he had sat with the Aryans, they would have killed him. <laughs> that is true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is it true that you got a tattoo for Oz? I, I went on your wiki, and I don't know if Wikipedia is right or not, but is that true? I, I did. I have on my arm leaves in the main titles of the show. What happened was I got a very clever idea that the opening of the show, the main title, should have somebody getting a prison tattoo. You know, I kept saying, well, somebody will get it. And people were like, who's going to get it? And I was like, ah, somebody will get it. And it came the day that we had to shoot this opening sequence in the show. Nobody, obviously, was stupid enough to do it but me. You know, I already had a couple of tattoos, so I anticipated what it would be like. But I will say that the actors and the crew, when we were shooting it, all came into the set to watch, thinking I would weep or faint, but of course I didn't. And the guy that was pulling the tattoo, who was a former prisoner, who was doing it like the real prison tattoo, not like you would go if you went to a tattoo parlor. Anyway, he finally said, because the director kept shooting it, shooting it, shooting it, shooting it, the ex-con finally said, we have to stop or Mr. Fontana will bleed to death. I mean, he was exaggerating, of course. But I was very proud that I didn't weep and I didn't faint, and uh, and everybody looked at me with renewed awe. Hold on, you're opening up a Pandora's box here. All right, so number one is these previous tattoos. Were they of TV shows? No, <laughs> I threatened after this to get every TV show I did tattooed on my body, but that that was more of a joke. No, the other ones are very personal. Yeah, so. They're not related to show business. Gotcha. And, and none of your other shows after Oz, you did not get a tattoo of the logo, correct? <laughs> no, I did not. I have not. I have not. The joke I was constantly saying I was going to get Homicide Life on the Street tattooed on my penis. <laughs> so all you would see is H and T. You're, you're a braver man than I, Tom. You're a braver man than, than I, so uh, well, I commend you. <laughs> I didn't do it. I, I'm not that boy. I'm just a sarcastic asshole. That's all I am. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, I mean, Oz was pretty much a first for HBO. Now, when a network is not known for a tone, because usually networks and studios, you know, they have, or um, cable channels, they already have a tone set, but because Oz was the first major drama on HBO back in the 90s. How did you set the tone when there was not any precedent? Well, what was wonderful about working at HBO 
which all of my very smart showbiz friends told me was a mistake because they said, oh, it's a movie channel. Nobody watches HBO. Nobody will ever see your show. And I said, well, I don't care because they're going to let me make the show I want to make. And I have to say, Chris Albrecht and Anthemopoulos, who were the executives at HBO at the time, were incredibly supportive of everything I wanted to try. They were fearless. Chris said to me, I don't care if the characters are likable as long as they're interesting. I want you to do what you can't do on broadcast television. He said, what's the one thing they would never let you do in a pilot on broadcast television? And I said, kill the lead character. <laughs> so Dino Orlani, played by John Seda, the wonderful John Seda, he knew going in he was the lead of the pilot and he would be dead by the end of the pilot. After Oz, you know, we've seen that done in The Shield. Uh, we've seen it done in CSI. We've seen it even done in House of Cards. Like, what are the pros and cons of killing off pretty much your lead in the pilot episode? Well, with, with Oz, because we were the first, what I wanted to create for the audience was a sense of unease that no one is saying. And so you can't relax and say to yourself, oh, oh this this character is going to be fine because he's the lead. You watch most TV and you see a cop in a gun battle with a bad guy. And no matter what, you know that Mariska Harvey is not going to be killed. You know what I'm saying? So what it did was say, this is a prison. And in prison, no one is safe. And if no one is safe, then if you're going to watch this, you have to be on your toes, because if you like a character, that character may be dead within a very short amount of time. Some of your shows do not have, say, a predominant food scene. They do not have a bar. They do not have a restaurant. But do you ever think, even when you're creating the character, do you ever think, like, what does this character drink? What do they eat? Like, are they... Uh, Coors Banquet type of woman? Are they a scotch neat, you know, type of man? Do you ever think that, just to get more of a sense? Well, yeah, let me start off by telling you that I grew up living above my grandmother's bar. And the first five years of my life, my parent, both my parents worked in the bar. And while my elder siblings went off to school, because I was too young to go to school, I would literally spend all of my days in the bar. So I learned a lot about the human condition, watching the men and the women who were the customers in the bar, and also the dynamic between my grandmother, my father, my mother, and the customers. I got a sense of, well, this guy comes in and he gets a beer and a shot, and he nurses the beer, and he sips the shot, because he doesn't have enough money to get another beer and another shot. But he doesn't want to go home or wherever he's supposed to go. He wants to be in the bar because he, he feels taken care of and loved, if you will. So that was very telling. In terms of people's specific appetites for alcohol, I would say... My my first instinct is to always have them want to have a bourbon because I'm a bourbon drinker. 
and I keep hoping every time I put in a reference to Wild Turkey or Angel Benby or Woodford Reserve that the distillery will send me a case of the bourbon mentioned to thank me for my free publicity. But I can tell you in 40 years, I have never got one bottle from anybody. Oh, say it ain't so. Say it ain't so. Yeah, I know. It's cruel. It's a cruel world in Kentucky. I can tell you that. (laughs) What advice do you have for a emerging writer to ignore? I'm a person who believes that you should listen to everyone. That doesn't mean you should do what anyone says, but you need to listen to anyone. So I guess I would say one must ignore one's sense of, fuck these other people, I know what's right. And the truth of it is, there are 9,000 different ways to write a scene. Let's say somebody says, oh, that scene with the grandmother and the little boy. It it would be better if it's not a grandmother. It would be better if it was a grandfather. Well, you could hear that, and then the next person could say, you know that scene with the grandmother and the little boy? might be better if the scene is with the little boy and a cop. And you go, okay, all right, all right. And and you listen, and what what you're hearing is not the solution. What you're hearing is there's a problem with the scene between the grandmother and the little boy. So your job then becomes not to say, well, fuck all these people. I'm not listening to anybody. I wrote this scene and it's perfect. The job then is to ignore that part of your voice and you have to say to yourself, okay, clearly the scene I think I've written is not being communicated. I'm not getting rid of the grandmother but I have to write the scene better so that everyone who reads it or a lot of people who read it will go, man, I love that scene with the grandmother. How do you keep consistently creative and not plateau? Well, number one, I write every single day. I get up at 5 a.m. every single day, seven days a week, whether I'm feeling healthy or I have a cold or I'm hungover, I get up at 5 a.m. and I write. Most times I'm writing the shows that I'm producing. When I have a lull, when I have a gap, maybe even just a day, I will write a short story or I will work on a play or I've even been known to write haikus just to keep my brain agile. And I just think it's important. Writing every day is like going to the gym. When you start, your creative muscles are ready to work out. If you just write, well, you know, I'm not going to write, I'll write tomorrow, maybe, I don't know, I don't feel like it right now. I think it dissipates the the creative juices. And I'm not saying everyone has to get up at 5 a.m. to write, but everyone has a moment in their day where they can stop and write. You know, I have a friend who, who, a novelist, who would wait for his wife to go to bed and start writing at 11 o'clock at night. And he'd write all night and then he'd sleep in the morning. You have to find your own moment. But I think it's really important to, to find the time to write and to do it every day. You know, a lot of people say they're writers, but a lot of people are just talking about writing. They're not actually writing. 
I think writers have to write. Excellent. Any, any other questions, any other things you want to add? Any questions I'm not asking? Uh, this is your time. If anybody from Kentucky is listening and they do want to send me a case of bourbon, I would be eternally grateful. All right, well, we will see what we can do and get our reach into the uh, Kentucky whiskey uh, business and see what we can do. All right, Tom? All right, that sounds good. Great talking to you. Thanks very much for wanting to talk about odds and show that I still love dearly. I'm going to end by saying the name of a bar. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. All right, excellent. Tom? Fuck yeah. That was a good show. I mean, personally... I'm really proud of this baby. Okay, where can you watch Tom's work? That's the big question. Well, for starters, go to HBO Max or however you get your HBO and stream his show, Oz. For all of his other work, go on his IMDb page, look up his major credits. I can't name them all. There's too many. And stream them, buy them, rent them, or however you watch your content. As for us at Restaurant Fiction... If you enjoyed today's show, if you don't mind sharing this episode with one person, only one, that's all we ask. Simple, easy, done. I'm Monis Rose, and until next time, keep it real, keep it fresh, and always, always keep it on the flip side. Cut to. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar.